I figured, well, the yogis used to be vegetarian, so that makes sense. And so it was great because I went, there were some really kind yogis who happened to be vegan who kind of was like, oh, if you're vegetarian, it's not really great for the cows and started explaining to me about the rennet and different products. But I still needed a gentle stepping stone. And so I kind of went about 95% plant-based until 2016. And that's when I just made the shift in the heart as I see it. It became an added um, element of embracing ahimsa and being kind and compassionate towards all beings. So it extended past just my own selfish reasons for being plant-based. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and Beej, and you know it, we are on a mission to create a better world. Following our hearts and intuitive hits, we were led to the creation of this podcast. And for the past 250 plus episodes, we've been honored to share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. There are so many people in this world making powerful and positive impacts. And today we get to share the mic with one of those gorgeous beings. Holly Scotus is a yogi who for the past two decades has studied the ancient science of yoga that typically begins on the mat but through repetitive practice has the power to transform the life of its practitioner. This is true for our story. As most of you know, Yogi Triathlete was born in an instant during one of my quiet practices. And from what I know of Holly's story, this type of intuitive directive rings true for her as well. Holly is a yoga instructor, certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator, podcast host, and the founder of Yoga is Vegan, which is a project focused on inspiring yogis to go vegan. This project started with a collection of articles from vegan yoga teachers and students sharing their perspectives on why yoga is vegan. Its latest evolution comes into form as a fundamental component of the upcoming Yoga Goes Vegan one-day virtual retreat on March 20th, which has been declared Meat Out Day since 1976, which I had no idea. We are super pumped to dive into her story and expand awareness around the subject matter of ahimsa, which is a guiding force for BJ and I as we navigate this rich itinerary called life. Holly, welcome to the show. Oh, that was such a beautiful introduction. I have to steal it. That was so good. Thank you. Wow, that sounds nice. You can steal it. All you need to do is sit in front of your computer, close your eyes, say, give me the words and go. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I that's all I it. do. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was really nice, and it is an honor for me to be on this podcast today. You inspire me. Triathletes inspire me so much. Like for me to run, I had to train myself to start to run and begin to like it. So I am that opposite energy, and I'm always in awe of those who can do all of it mm-hmm. and who are vegan. So thank you so much again for having me on today. Yes. Well, you know, I am the girl who bought a shirt that said, I love running because I was determined to change my mindset. (laughs) (laughs) It worked. (laughs) It totally worked. I wore the shirt on every single run, whether it was a hundred degrees or 30 degrees when we lived in Colorado. And um, anytime I found myself going down that road that I didn't want to go down, I pulled the shirt out from underneath my layer and I looked at it and I was like, why can't I run? Why can't I love running? Why can't I run with love? You know, that so many people talk about. So um, if I still had that shirt, I'd send it over your way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> so I, uh, I caught your post this morning on Instagram about your final and 30th 24-hour water fast. And I just thought, we got to start talking about this because this is something that we're interested in. We've talked about intermittent fasting. We've played with it, um, definitely have entertained ideas of water fasts. But I love the consistency of the thirty, the thirtieth. So I don't really know the story behind that or or when you started. And I love that like it's twenty four hours because I feel like you can do anything for twenty four hours. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting and fun and kind of spiritual. And I like yourself was was playing around with intermittent fasting for the last couple years. I think it it's kind of started as an evolution past like learning how to eat with a sattvic diet, which was part of some of my trainings with Dharma Mitra. And it just evolved, you know, it's like when you really get into plant-based foods and you get into just like the health of all of it, you can't help but but start reading. And the work of um, uh, Walter Longo was one of the books that I had read early on, although his fasting is different and it's more that it's the fasting mimicking and I think it's five or six days, which I think is going to be the next thing that I try. But Long story short, I was I was reading a book for a friend of mine over the summer because she was um, like pre-diabetic, and it was one of the I, I knew that you could uh, reverse some diabetes through a carb-heavy diet, which I found fascinating. Of course, whole food, plant-based carbs or beans. Not we're not talking about like crackers or pasta or you know just white food that kind of thing. And um, so I decided to listen to the book while I was trail running. And part of what they got into was intermittent fasting and they gave three options of ways to do it. And you can just shorten your your feeding window, right? So you can, what is it, like 16, eight? Is it 16, eight? Is mm-hmm. that the math? <laughs> like, yep. Right. So I had done I had done that kind of feeding window before where you're, you're eating for the eight and resting for the 16. Um, but I was always intrigued by the 24-hour water fast because I had done it once. And I thought, well, if I'm going to tell my friend to do it, I'm going to... And the, the food in this in this book was um, it's Mastering Diabetes was the book that I read. And they, mm-hmm. they did kind of like an 80-10-10, so 80 carbs, 10 fat, 10 protein, give or take. And so I gave it a try, hoping I could inspire her, not that I had diabetes, but <laughs> it was still an interesting thing. And I started the... I was thinking about doing the water fast. And one morning I woke up. So I had this on my mind and another yogi who was a vegan had tagged me about doing a water fast to raise awareness for like an animal liberation or the suffering of what goes on in factory farms. And I thought, well, okay, I just woke up. I wasn't planning on doing it, but why not? You know, so I, I gave it a go as the 24 hours and I knew it would be a little hard for the first 24 hours because you've got that habit of eating and enjoying food and being attached to it and all those kind of things. And I thought, wouldn't it be an interesting kind of um, experiment if every time I felt a hunger pain, instead of thinking about food or what I wasn't getting, think about how I could be a better vegan advocate. And so that was my practice for 24 hours. And of course, it went longer. Like if, you, if you're going to do a 24-hour fast, what I've learned is you can, ha- you can do it right you know, after dinner and then go just 24 hours. But since I had started in the morning 
and then went to that same 24 hours the next morning. It was more like a 36-hour fast, like it was longer. And um, that's harder. I don't like that. But so, <laughs> so anyway, I did it and I thought, well, that was kind of interesting. And then the next week happened and I was like, you know what? Try it again. And the next thing I knew it, this was my 30th. So why am I stopping on 30? I'm stopping on 30 because we were talking a little off the air, but I have an umbilical hernia, which I have to go back and repair again. I've repaired it once, and this time we're going back and sewing up the diastasis recti, which is a bigger surgery. And, you know, everyone I've talked to is very freaked out about, you know, uh, doing any water fasting before a surgery, which I wonder if somebody who's studies water fasting would, would feel that way. But so everyone said, you know, don't do it for two weeks prior. So this is going to be my 30th, but I thought it was kind of interesting because 30 is almost like a month and it's been 30 days, at least this half year of not eating. So you, so, oh yeah, 30 days. Yeah. I guess in my mind, I was like, it's one day of the month, but you've been doing it weekly. Yeah. Which is exactly what your post said. You've been doing it weekly for 30. Consecutively. Yeah. yeah. So once a week, either Wednesday or Thursday. Huh. And tomorrow it's supposed to snow and I wanted food on a snow day. So I just was like, all right. What were some of the um, attachments that you were noticing? Because we, you know, uh, yoga, um, which is really the foundation of our conversation is so much more than, you know, the gymnastics on the mat, and although that is like incredibly powerful, it's one of the limbs. But one, there's all these teachings too that go with these limbs, and one of the biggest ones is detachment. Um, so, what were you seeing, or what was the attachment that you were seeing to food? Oh, you know, I have a well, I have a sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I get it. I guess addicted to certain things, like rituals. And I, I then replaced the ritual with a water fast. <laughs> you just have to swap your rituals for something, I guess, better. But um, definitely like hot cacao um, mm. drinks that I make, like a coca, you know, I'll do sometimes the Four Sigmatic with some fresh mm. almond milk and warm it up. And it's so good. So definitely that. I have a, a habit of, of doing like a sprouted buckwheat. Um, with a brand called Food Nerd, but I absolutely love their stuff. So those are the things I was like, oh, I need to try that. Oh, I, you know, I miss that. Or, you know, just like these things. And what I found was, was that that hunger, you know, pain or whatever, your body adapts to doing this and knowing, okay, once a week, it's just not going to eat. So I'm not going to freak out anymore. But, um, you know, those were almost calls of habits. Like, my body reminding myself, oh, you go down and you eat something. But definitely, it was, it was definitely like the buckwheat. Those are my things, my smoothies. Like there's just habits and dates. I love raw dates. Um, mm. So those are definitely my attachment foods. Yeah, so, you, so you feel the desire, right? So this is the whole separate or creating of the space between that stimulus and response. So you feel the urge to eat, you insert it, you have a space there, you insert it with you know, for you thinking about the animals and then you curb that desire. And so then you go through the 24 hours and then you repeat it the following week. Did, did you find as you were working through these after two, after three, after four, it, w- it became much more um, 
the habit in the opposite direction. Like you could just do a water fast for 24 hours and now you've created this yes. you know, automated system again. Now you've created this that you can just tick off. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's fun to, to jump into it. It's, it's funny because my husband often follows diet things that I do. And he watched me do about 20 of them before he tried to join in. <laughs> but it's so funny because, you know, since I cook like dinner in the house or whatever, you'd, you'd go through this like water fast, but then I was still on his mom. So it's like, okay, I'm still going to figure out what dinner is. Even if we order something, you still have to smell it. You still have to like, mm. sit next to it. But I found that it, it became like, it, it was, it's so easy. Like it's not a big deal anymore. Like sometimes I haven't felt hungry. I probably won't feel hungry till like six tonight. Um, it's just the way it is. The body kind of adapts to it, I think, just like anything else. But when my husband started doing it, all of a sudden I had like, his feedback of, okay, I'm starving. What is this going to be over? And like his mind, like he wasn't taking the same uh, yogic approach. We'll call it that to the fasting. And like he's he's eating like it's gonna, like he's going to starve or something in the 24 hours. And then he's catching up. And then he didn't join me on the last one because he knows I'm stopping now. And it's like, it's not his desire to do it. It was my desire to do it. That's so... Let's face it, the guys, you know, are waiting for the, the wives to like take charge. I mean, it's how many times have I like said, oh, I'm just going to hold off, hold off. And then Jess does it and she's already a few weeks in. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm on board. Like, we just have yeah. to like this delay, just a little delay. It's funny. But, you know, the one more thing I wanted to throw out that I, that I thought was an important thing about doing the fast just for health is that with COVID right now, and with whatever micro exposure you are getting, if you are going out and going to the store, whatever you're doing, I think um, having the body resting from digestion for 24 hours is a really helpful thing for the immunity during just this, you know, exposure to the virus and, and different um, variances, is that what they call it, with the, mm-hmm. the different kinds, strains that are out right now. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I'm curious to know, um, you know, in the intermittent fasting that we've done, I think the longest I've gone is maybe 17 or 18 hours, which, you know, it's like, hello, I have the information right there that I can do a water fast for 24. Yeah, yeah, just (laughs) if I can go 18, you know, and, and love it. That's the thing. Love it. Like I love seeing the impulse and the craving and the sensory, um, pull. And I love working with the mind and and sitting in that impulse and being an inquiry about it. And I'm curious to know about experiences that you had as far as um, like hyper alert states or um, deeper meditations or your actual asana physical practice. Was did you yeah. feel a deepening in any of that because of just the not having that additional thing for the body to do? Right. I think, because usually what we do on our, on our fasting days is we hike. Um, and I'll do yoga or I'll hike. And towards the end, I was hiking more like the last time I went hiking with my husband and then a friend of mine wanted to hike. So we hiked like eight miles altogether. And 
I found that I had a lot of energy because it is only 24 hours. It's not, it's not really a long time, but I think it was more the long duration. Like, um, I experienced my body getting way more flexible. And I think it is because my body had an opportunity to kind of clean itself out once, once a week. I think maybe some of the inflammation or um, whatever it was holding onto was different. Um, as far as meditation, it, it's, it's curious because this week I had, I've had a lot of stress over, over going and doing this surgery. I'm really stressed out about it. it's going to be like three months of not working out, which stresses me out. I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not one to sit still. And that part of it is very terrifying for me. And so I had gone to a friend of mine who is this Reiki healer. I don't know. Have you ever done Reiki? I have. I, yeah, I've received it. Yes. Okay. Is that what it... I've never done... I had never done it before and I had zero expectations. And a part of me was like, I don't know if this is legit or not. I don't... You know, it's like, you never know when you're dealing with someone spiritual if you're getting someone who is authentic. Like you just don't... You yeah. just don't know, right? It can be a total circus. Um, <laughs> and like- so I had zero expectations and... And I went and it was this crazy, like beyond crazy, like metaphysical, spiritual experience that exceeded like any yoga nidra, any any time where you get those brief glimpses. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while when that stuff happens and you're just like, whoa, what happened? And it, and she had said something to me like she she had never gone that far either. Like it was very, very bizarre. And I was very tired for like a day and a half after. It was really intense. Um, but I think having that prep of the body being receptive to just like not eating, to slowing down, to being clear of just whatever excess toxins, even if you do eat a clean diet, I think set a nice foundation for that experience. So I think that's probably how I've seen it. Um, And as far as yoga and stuff, like the only time I see an extra amount of energy for some reason in yoga or whatever activity is when I have squash. I don't know why. Hmm. Like maybe it's something I don't get enough of. But anytime I have squash, like the next day, it's just like, why am I flying right now? Why can I do all this? Why does it feel weightless? Always have a yellow squash before. That's so interesting. And, I so love it's not it, on the twenty-four hour water fast, but but that's right, that is right. you yeah, got clearly. follow the fast with squash. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's true or not, but yeah. So you haven't. So when's the last time you ate? Because you uh, said you haven't. I guess last night, somewhere between seven forty-five and eight. Okay, so then you'll probably probably have dinner tonight. Yeah, like, how do you I'll, break, I'll break, break it these fasts? What's the um, first food you have? You know, well, according to the book, you're supposed to break it with something more carb, like bean heavy. Like they'll say, like have a full meal, like hmm. you know, whatever, something just that's very, uh, I don't know, like legumes and like just filling but robust. 
I will break it with um, buckwheat because I'm addicted to buckwheat, buckwheat cacao, buckwheat. and squash. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah. No. So we, we, I do. I have a butternut squash lentil soup in the in the refrigerator, which I'll probably eat. Um, but I'll, I'll probably have the buckwheat first, and I probably will top it off with a cacao <laughs> thing after. But, but it's good. Like if you can, if you can just time it so that it works well with your day. I started a, a plant based support group for our town, so I'm going to be talking about sprouted foods at seven o'clock, which would be great, and then I'll break it after. But as long as you eat something, because otherwise it'll disturb my sleep. Like if I go. If I run on too empty, I won't need that much sleep. I don't know if you've no- you noticed that as well, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, but I haven't really thought about it. I love this. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure BJ's thinking the same thing. My God, we we're had, gonna do it tomorrow. We had Rip Esselstyn <laughs> on a few weeks ago, and then we were like, okay, no oil. Now we're gonna be fasting 24 hours once a week, and I'm like, what's what's next? Like, what's what happening? else do I have to give up? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, especially with uh, the triathlon. See how that how that shifts and like when you fit it in. Like, does that fall in a recovery day or something? You know, it's a lot I would, easier. I would think so, probably to ease into it. Um, we is... tried that juice fast. We tried a juice fast for the second round during the height of an Ironman yeah. training block. That was so we were good. like eight or ten weeks out, and I think we got through because we were so. <laughs> excited that we it was so successful the first time and the second time I think we got through 12 hours or 18 hours and we're like this is not good because we're trying to train yeah. still you know yeah but I think to your point I think it'd be uh, super important to to really back way down on the body's intensity um, not to put that into a, a state of you know crisis mode that where it needs food um, but also you know there's there's stuff out there where athletes are are going out fasted for workouts Um at a top level to see how their body uses the fuel that they have, yeah, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I think playing with it, right? Yeah, once you get used to it, once you get to the point where it's mm-hmm. not a big deal to do it, mm-hmm. then it's probably a lot easier to start feeling confident with your energy level like before trying yeah. something really intense, I would imagine. Yeah, and I love the idea of uh, a long barefoot beach walk or going for a hike, like being in nature, being in in uh, connection as opposed to just you know fasting and like watching Netflix all day, <laughs> like being like get away from like, the snacks. <laughs> yeah, like exactly, <laughs> just and just like staring at the cabinet, you know. But I love your husband's experience too because. Um, it gives people permission. It's just like, have your experience. That's something that Beach says all the time. Like, just have an experience, right? So maybe your experience was uh, tilted a little bit more towards the spiritual awakening and your husband might have just been watching the clock like, oh my God, when can I eat? I'm freaking starving. Yeah, he's like, what do I get from this? Am I going to lose weight? Like, why, why, am I do- why am I torturing myself? <laughs> I love that. And it's perfect. It's perfect. It's like, you did it right and he did it right. Every, like, just yeah. have an experience. Experience. Be, we're, I think we're so scared sometimes to put ourselves out there to have an experience when even it's just us that's having the experience, right? And then, then it's bigger like, oh, I don't want to start the podcast because I'm worried about the judgment or what people are going to right. think. And, um, and I, I think th- actually this is something that I wanted to ask you about as we start to segue into your story and into yoga is vegan. I've been interested, in, and you can kind of answer this maybe along the way, but an inquiry that I had 
was um, because being vegan and being a yogi for quite some time now, and when I say yogi, it's it's like I'm, I'm doing the very best I can with the tools that I have to live these limbs, to live the teachings, to share the teachings and really be the demonstration uh, while also navigating this life as a, as a human and honoring that. Have you received any like kind of backlash or emotional defense from people about their choices and the the history of yoga being more lacto-vegetarian? Right. Not as much as I expected. <laughs> like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. Does that mean I'm just not getting out enough? Like, mm-hmm. at what point are they going to start throwing? It's true. Like, so I think we were talking off the air a little bit about Clubhouse, and that's been, that's where all of a sudden it's like we're doing an audio experience and people have the opportunity to talk about it. So I'm seeing that element is going to start. Um, coming into the conversation more but i think i think it's in the way that you approach it and something that's been important to me about this project is is that it's not about i'm saying yoga is vegan and if you're not vegan you're not practicing yoga like i'm not coming down heavy-handed or saying like this is the way it's supposed to be instead what i've i've looked at the project as my experience, like just like we talked about with everyone having a different experience, my my journey towards enlightenment or liberation is going to be a different journey than yours and a different journey than than BJ's. Like it's all going to be different. And I think the same goes for the lineage of yoga because there is not one particular practice to get to... Um, this, this state of, of liberation, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of different types. So I always worry when I hear one teacher say, you have to follow X, Y, Z to get here. It has to be this way because that was the way that worked for them. It doesn't mean there isn't another door to go through. But at the end of the day, I believe, especially in, in the time we're living in, which is 2021, that... If yoga at its heart, in its main tenet, is that of one of compassion or nonviolence, right? Then our relationship to, to the cow, which was supposed to be this divine creature in India, right? We no longer have a cow for our own, um, you know, home like we would like a dog or a cat and share this experience, we now have a different relationship where we're taking from these animals. And the way that we're doing it isn't at an ahimsa farm, right? Because some people will say, well, if you're doing it right with the, you know, loving compassion, then that's okay. But that's not, that's not our reality in 2021. So what I'm saying by yoga is vegan is that at its heart, at its highest place of compassion, it is one of nonviolence. And living a vegan lifestyle is in itself the same as yoga because we are trying to cause the least amount of harm. And it's not about me shaming somebody else who isn't there in their yogic journey because I was not vegan when I started yoga. And if somebody had told me I had to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. 
How did you find yoga? How did that be? How did that come into your life? I, I, you know, I was one of those people who thought I needed more. You know, I'm sure you hear that a lot. Well, actually, you do. Yeah, and you run triathlons, and now, now I do still kind of feel like I need something different. But for a while, um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, so it was a long time ago, 17, 18 years ago. It's like you felt like you had to be doing, I don't know, yoga for, for when you're pregnant, felt like the right thing to do. So I found this, I, I think it was like a, a tape at the time, like a VHS everywhere. Yeah, where, VHS. Whatever, like, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> of Rainbow, Rainbow Mars. That's who it was. She had some pregnancy uh, um, you know, DVD or whatever. Um, and so I practiced that. And then when I had my daughter, I ended up making uh, close friends with this woman who was doing private yoga. And so we started going to yoga classes and that became like my kind of, you know, spirituality slash workout. Um, that's when I was first introduced to it. And the spiritual element came rather quickly because my husband and I didn't know what to do um, with our with our daughter when she was a baby for like Easter because we weren't really religious people. And he found this place called the Self-Realization um, was this Fellowship. And it was right because I used to live in California as well. So we went out to the Pacific Palisades to Lake Shrine, which is this beautiful, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's this beautiful lake that was used to be a movie set. But but the idea behind this uh, this yogi's teaching was that all religions were welcome. And we thought, well, that's a really nice place. So that's kind of, that was my first book that I read was Autobiography of a Yogi. But it, it all kind of came together in the first year. And then I just started diving in from there. When did you know you wanted to be a teacher or how did, how did that reach out and, and bring uh, you in? Yeah. You know, well, it's funny. Um, we were going to this studio called Black Dog Yoga and I had had you know, a bunch of friends. This is when my girls finally started going back to preschool and kindergarten and so you had a few hours where you could actually do what you wanted to do. And we were, we were taking all these classes and we just were going like five, six times a week. And they, they offered a teacher training and a girlfriend of mine I just decided to do it. Like, okay, let's try it. So it was really scary. And, you know, I did my first 200 hours and realized I knew absolutely nothing. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm humbled now. You know, and and taught. I was lucky to be asked to teach at the the yoga studio uh, after I did my training. So that was kind of a nice experience that I got thrown right into it. But it it took a long time to really feel, feel comfortable teaching. Oh my God. I think the first, uh, the first lesson of Ahimsa is as a new yoga teacher, not to judge yourself because I said earlier, like yoga can be a bit of a circus. Like it can be downright, like so scary. Yes. Yeah. B- BJ is also yeah, it, a teacher too. Instant, instant forgiveness of yourself. Like I felt I had gone to Jess's class for years. Like I know the practice, I know the practice. And then you go into the teaching program and like the first day they put you up there and you're like I don't know how to teach like I don't yeah, I know like, the how rules. do you say step your right foot forward all of a sudden it was really hard <laughs> and not yell at them yes. you know or sound like you're like a robot or down dog or, yeah, right. <laughs> it's such a it's such a um but that's where I grew the most I don't know if you can share with that but that's where I grew the most as a vocal um human 
you know, not so much reserved into what I wanted to say, but instead composing my words and speaking my mind and the words would flow. And so that, that for me was an opening, uh, it was an entry into that, to that, to the life I am now where I can just speak. Yeah, I agree. I think podcasts do that too. <laughs> you, know, saying you have to be really mindful of your words. You're like, what did I say? Uh-oh. Um, yeah, I, it's really scary to teach a class when you're a new teacher. Like, I, I remember just putting the putting the classes together was such an ordeal. And then plus the added, added sound. Like if you taught at a studio where they expected a playlist, that's a lot like to be DJ and, and composer of, of whatever, you know, type of yoga class you wanted to, you know, deliver that day. It's a lot of work. And it's, I honestly like practicing now, like with Dharma Mitra, Dharma Yoga. I, I don't, I'll be creative to a certain degree, but when I practice my own at home, I often will follow like set just um, sequences. Like there are some sequences that I really like. Same thing with Ashtanga. I've done that, you know, on and off for years, but I kind of like that you just go and you're going to dive into the physical practice, but you don't have to like worry about it being something completely new. And for me, I find that's when I can go deeper because I can really connect the drishti, which is where you're looking, the the breath, right? And then the movement without worrying so much about the physical and starting to kind of guide through it. That's where it's, I find that more helpful as my practice just changes. We are so aligned with that. And I feel really blessed that the the man that taught us, like our yoga mentor that you know, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, very much that story, used to own radio stations. And he had all these statistics around how radio stations, like how the their listenership is this very, very specific demographic. So he always taught us to teach and bring to yoga no music. Oh, and nice. <laughs> yes, and because he had all this, he he, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's like, if you have a class of 30 people, you're, you're lucky if you're hitting, if one or maybe two of those people are liking every single song on your playlist. And if, and, but the majority are not, which means you're creating disconnection. And a yoga teacher is there to connect. And I, I mean, that's, it was just mind blowing and talk about pushback. He, he experienced a lot of pushback and I would see it in yoga teacher trainings as like, I would go on and study, like he would get like, oh boy, someone would be like, but it helps people feel better and, you know, and bringing it back to the essence of yoga. But yes, that's still outside of you. And, um, so anyway, fast forward to coming here to California and trying to <laughs> teach with no music and having 80% of my class walk out. I mean, yeah. Whoa. They're hard in it. You know what? It's Ooh. a tough audience in California. And you would not think that. <laughs> no, but can I, sh- can I share like the, my Please. worst horror, horror yes, um, sub sh- class <laughs> event ever? It was, so, it was so good too, because I'm so lucky to have had it. So when I was teaching at the studio, I was like, I have a strong practice, but I was never one who could command a press-up handstand. Like I could do it once in a while, it would work out. But I wasn't the the floaty perfect, like there are just some masters of the body. And 
I fell somewhere in there where I was going to those classes, right? And I wasn't at that same level. I was a little under that level. But one of the teachers was um, Bryony Smith, who like, do you know, do you know who she is? I don't know. Like it was Dyson Bry, and you might remember because you've been teaching a long time, but this was like, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago or nine years ago, but Equinox did this this beautiful video before you saw all these gorgeous videos of this of this girl in this New York apartment and she's doing this beautiful practice and it goes viral and she's on this calendar and the next thing I know it she's like you know everybody's following her and she's on all the yoga magazines they asked me to sub that class <laughs> that's amazing yeah and it was right after that video went viral so <laughs> it was one of those like um I guess I'll say yes because it's still weird if I said no because I'm too green and I will. And then all these people come showing up for this class for this woman who's just like this beautiful yogi. And here I am sitting there as a sub. And so some of them just walked in and walked out. <laughs> I know. And you're like, you have no idea how much, how difficult it is going to be for me to teach now. Yeah. It sucks for me more than it sucks for you. <laughs> yeah. It's like the worst moment of your life. It's the purification, like you're burning in the fire of purification and you're like, you know, you asked for it because you're yeah. seeking a path that is not for the faint of heart. Oh my gosh. That was, yeah. So, so I love sharing that because <laughs> I don't think it gets much worse, but I'm sure people have stories like that. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I most certainly do. Um, oh my gosh. So, okay. So you're on the yoga path. Um, where does your shift to, to turning vegan come in? Um, well, it, it shifts from going <laughs> plant-based to vegan in 2016. And that coincides with my beginnings of my upper level trainings with Sri Dharma Mitra. Prior to that, when I started yoga, I had had some health issues and started looking into forks over knives, reading the China study, starting to do my homework and get into that plant-based movement, whole food, plant-based, no oil type of of food as a as a way to to help make myself healthier and to avoid staying on medicate getting on medications, that kind of thing. And so when I did my first teacher training, I committed to being vegetarian because I was too scared to go vegan. And I figured, well, the yogis used to be vegetarian, so that makes sense. And so it was great because I went, there were some really kind yogis who happened to be vegan who kind of was like, oh, if you're vegetarian, it's not really great for the cows and started explaining to me about the rennet and different products, but I still needed a gentle stepping stone. And so I kind of went about 95% plant-based until 2016. And that's when I just made the shift in the heart as I see it. It became, you know, an added um, element of embracing ahimsa and being kind and compassionate towards all beings. So it extended past just my own selfish um, reasons for being plant-based and then extended on to the movement. So that Dharma Mitra does his trainings. You have to be vegan while you do your trainings. There is a specific diet that goes to him. That's why one of the reasons why I love what he does, and he does it vegetarian for the 200 hours, but then once you get into the 500, 800,000 hours, it's vegan. And so I didn't know it was a sattvic diet and there was going to be all these other restrictions. Um, yeah, what, so explain what that sattvic <laughs> diet is or, or what sattva is. 
yeah, so 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 a sattvic diet is is one that is I want to say more of a like a a calming vibration. And I think that's a nice way to to put at it, put think about it. Um like you want to eat a sattvic diet that isn't either tamasic or rajistic, meaning rajistic being like energetic, like your caffeine, your stimulants, your alcohol, like all these things that are going to, you know, just make the the nervous system go up and down in spices and stuff like that. And you don't want heavy tamasic dead food as well. Like, and I'm saying dead, you could include like animal products, but you could also look at it as far as processed food, food, heavy foods, sweet foods, foods, um, devoid of nutrients. So think like opposite of sprouted foods. And so a sattvic diet, and the, pers- the, the reason why we were on a sattvic diet was because during our periods of homework, there was a lot of spiritual discourse. You're waking up, you're thinking about a yama, you're either journaling about it, meditating about it, you're moving on to pranayama, the breathing practices, you're moving on to you know, the physical practices, and you're doing karma yoga. And so it is a beautiful content. Um, complement to that practice and the removal of like this sattvic diet. So there's no spices, no garlic, no onions, no, no anything, just no spices at all. And, and I thought, this is crazy. I'm not going to be able to do it. And you're just eating just, you know, like plain food and it's steamed or, or raw. You're, you can eat sprouted, um, almonds. That was the only kind of like fat or nut in the beginning with the exception of avocado. So sprouted almonds or avocado were like your (laughs) extra delicious foods. Nothing, dates were out. So nothing dehydrated or had to be fresh and, um, you know, steamed or, or like just on closer towards being a live food a higher vibration. You did that for the first three months. And then once you got through, past that, then they allowed, you know, they once went you on got the wild through side. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well then, then you're like, oh my gosh, I can have tahini. This is fabulous. <laughs> it's amazing. Like you're like, oh, that's big. Um, but it was, it was really interesting to see the big shift in, in the body mm. uh, doing something like that. So yeah, the sattvic diet is really geared towards being in a higher vibrational or more receptive space so that you can, you know, um, declutter, declutter the, the mind, right? Did your taste buds change at all when you return to maybe a more... <clears throat> Let's, let's say normal day-to-day diet, maybe with spices and um, that you can recall. Yeah. I mean, we could have a cheat day, which was great. So once a week I would have, I don't know, something, I'm still vegan, but something flavorful. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I still like spices, but I think what it allowed me to do was understand the um, nuances of food without, without the extra spices. Um. But I still enjoy <laughs> spiced food just as much, and and during the and I wasn't doing a lot of garlic or onions. I was eating more of a sattvic diet pre-pandemic, and then when the pandemic hit, I was like, mm, probably makes more sense to pull in those onions, those garlic stuff like that. And then, of course, because the family was home all the time, and and dinners became a bigger deal. I think that's kind of where the diet got a little bit different because I had to make everybody in the house you know, somewhat satisfied. 
So I'm listening to you. You're so eloquent in your words, by the way. Like the way you speak is just, you can feel that ahimsa. You can feel that kindness and that compassion that, that just, it's the energy from, from which you move. And, um, and it, you know, that might sound a little bit like I'm prophetizing you, but people may look at your picture and say, look at this gorgeous woman with, and listening to her gorgeous voice. And she's talking about this sattvic diet. Now she's fasting. But I think it's important, and I've listened, done some research, and we've known each other from a distance for a few years now, that you did not come from a foundation of this high vibrational food and way of life. And so I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch upon um, really this generational cycles that you, which I believe, of course, like that you came here to overcome, that you've done so beautifully, that has brought you to this eloquence that you now speak and live. Well, that's nice of you. Although my kids, I'm going to be 100% (laughs) true because my my girls are like, who is that on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I love that because you're still in a human body. If you were not... Like you, you, we. If we're in a body, we got stuff to work on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I started out, it's like when you're speaking and you're in a microphone, you. I speak slower because I'm more careful of my words, because I, I'm really conscious of screwing up and not sounding intelligent. Like it's true. Like it's just, you know, you're like, oh gosh, I couldn't think of that word, or I feel stupid. So if if you go a little bit slower, I think that helps. Um. But yeah, my, my kids do make fun of me. But I came from came from a really crazy background, uh, which was so the uh, the Reiki the other day, as I called it. I was like, I need an exorcism. <laughs> Can you perform that, please? That's awesome. Uh, I laugh, but it's true. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a a very um, abusive, alcoholic home. And I grew up in a lot of fear. And while I have a lot of, um, I try not to hold on to resentment because it's not helpful. Although I will say I have, I, I really battle anxiety um, because of it. Like, I don't want to blame it, but either I'm wired that way and it didn't help <laughs> or, or it, it somewhat caused it to a certain degree. And that's something I'm going through right now with the, with the whole blood pressure with something because my blood pressure will still go up when I get anxious. And my diet couldn't be any cleaner. I'm here to tell you. Like, so, it, but that's where the mental and the spiritual come in. But, but I think when you grow up in, in kind of an environment that doesn't feel good, it gives you an opportunity to either repeat the same mistakes or to change them. And I saw myself as um, a protector because, like I said, my, my dad, who I adored, struggled with alcohol. He had a liver transplant. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he earned that liver transplant, which that's another subject. That's another subject. Did you deserve a liver transplant? Probably not because, you know... I'm sure there was someone with hepatitis that that wasn't in a coma that didn't you know it's just like it just moved into it and it was it was a really unfortunate situation but and then he got lung cancer but I had this golden opportunity of watching that and living in it and I was very dark for a long time because I was angry um and being able to look at that and go well maybe that's a lesson maybe maybe if you think of the 
you know, the um, reincarnation, right? Maybe the reason why I went through the things I did was to then pass through them and change. You know, you could look at it and go, well, I could have done some really crappy things in the past. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that was the reason why I signed up for it. Or maybe, maybe this is some great, great lesson that we're all going to live in some, you know, and, and all and my parents are a spiritual player and they took the role of like, this is going to be a really hard lesson. It's a really nice way to think about it. Do I know if it's true or not? No, <laughs> I don't, but it, it, it helps, you know, and, and I think, you know, just being somebody who, who is, who goes through something like that, then it allows you to have compassion. Like that's one thing I wish my girls had more of. And I think when you grow up in, in a household where there isn't yelling, screaming, fighting, crying, you're not scared, like all these lovely things, um, you, you don't always have the same amount of compassion for people who are going through something. And so my girls have each had friends where it's like, well, of course this kid is acting out right now. You mentioned that, that our home life is horrible or like, you know, it's like we've got this one, my daughter's got a friend in the pandemic and I know that girl is living in just a horrible, like if I was locked at home <laughs> during the pandemic and my childhood, I don't know what would have happened mm. um, because we had escape. Like you get to go to school, you get to go out with your friends. Like there are times of escape, but there's a lot of people right now who may be in a home that's dysfunctional and the pandemic's not making it easier. And so it's like trying to go, okay, you know, yes, you should protect yourself and not invite too much drama into your life. But at the same time, have compassion or maybe let that person know like, hey, if you're struggling, it's okay. Like, you know, but it's hard. It's hard to transfer that because I think sometimes you need to experience it in order to have some sort of compassion for it. Right. And I think as a, a mom, as a parent, it's, it's like trusting, right? That they're going to learn what they need to learn while they're here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaks, says the woman who doesn't have children. Um, but I, you know, everybody else I know has them. And, uh, we talk a lot about it, this, this balance between, you know, allowing them to have their, to have their path fully and, and trusting, you know, that, um, they will, like nobody gets a free pass, that they will come to all of the lessons that they're here to learn. And, and to be able to provide them with a house that is safe. Um, but you know, that was, that was, that was me. I had, I mean, when my meditation teacher (laughs) slid in the suggestion that I needed to be more, maybe I should get curious about compassion. I was like, I looked it up. I had to look it up. And I was like, ugh, I want nothing to do with that. Like feel the suffering of other people. So I, I came here to cultivate, like one of the things I came here to cultivate and learn is compassion. And oh man, have I received my, my waves of life and life experience and interaction to cultivate that in a very powerful way in a very short period of time. Yeah. And I'm sure veganism had some sort of play. Oh, yeah. 
Right? Huge. Yes, yes, huge. Our our visit to um, Farm Sanctuary <clears throat> when we when we traveled across the country a few years ago was a truly enlightening moment to see you know these these beautiful beings up close and to vo- we volunteered for a whole week and just really dove into it. Oh, that's nice. So our time at Farm Sanctuary just really. Uh, blew the roof off of our, or at least I'll speak for me, my, my relationship with the animals and, and veganism. You know, I was plant-based and doing the stuff for the body, but then I, I, I believe firmly there's being up close with animals in their natural state and um, seeing how large they can be and how compassionate their eyes are really just uh, paves the road to, you know, this ahimsa practice and, and love of all life. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. That's that's one of the tragedies of the pandemic is that the farm sanctuaries are not being utilized, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, So I want you to just share, I want to talk about the event that you and I are sitting on a panel together, which is going to be super cool, I think. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be I know it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Watch out. (laughs) <laughs> the world is bringing us together. And we're also, it's not, just, it's not just the Holly and Jess show. We are on the panel with some other people. And we're talking about yoga, ahimsa in real life. And, um, and some people might say, okay, well, I get it. Like, I understand the nonviolence with veganism. But there, what I learned, which I'm thinking maybe you had a similar experience, is that you realize that ahimsa is, it's, it's not just one thing, right? It's like this foundational principle of yoga. It's everywhere. And uh, I'd love for you to share if you have an experience or something where you started to realize like, oh my gosh, like I have an opportunity there for ahimsa. I have an opportunity there for ahimsa, that it just spans everything in your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I have to credit it back to Sri Dharma Mitra because we had to meditate on ahimsa for 30 days in mm. the morning. And I, I have one tattoo. It's ahimsa. Um, you, can, you can't see it on my arm, but it's... There it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. There <laughs> it is. Yeah, so it'll remind me right there. Like, in fact, my husband has more than once put my hand up and shown it to me. <laughs> Okay, now we're getting to the question, the answer to the question I asked. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, so I think, I think just contemplating it, I think that was, it was, it's just the foundation. Like I see ahimsa is the core of, of yoga, but it's also at the core of, a, of veganism. It's the same. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your yeah. question? Yes, it does. Okay. I mean, and I think that that spoke volumes when you said, you know, my husband will show it to me, right? Because we're still living in this human body. We're still living in, um, in uh, awareness of these locked and loaded responses we have or the self-preservation and the defense modes of the ego where, you know, we can maybe react in a way that is, Yep. Not ahimsa, you know, and uh, but is but without those, like without the contrast of those moments, how do we grow? You know, we we have to have that. So I think there's ahimsa is also the grace in the development of being aware on your own path. That you know, our teacher has this thing that he gave to us early on in in working with him is just 
you get better and better every day in every way. And it sounds so corny, but I, how many times I have worked that statement in a moment where I want to react, you know, and, and the reaction that I want to have or the defense that I want to put out there, I see as an opportunity to get better and better every day in every way. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's hard, but it's hard not to screw up Ahimsa multiple times a day, right? I mean, it's just, it's just life. Like, yeah. It is. But it helps when you're not ingesting, you know, the violence and the oppression. And um, I know you had Sean Korn on your podcast and we had her on ours. And one of the things that I really took away when I listened to her book was like, our liberation is bound. And that's another theme with um, Dr. Will Tuttle, who you um, had on your podcast, which I can't wait to listen to that one, because BJ and I were able to see him speak live when we were in Ithaca, New York. What a beautiful man. And, you know, the World Peace Diet is a diet, is a, um, not a diet, but yes, it is a diet, but it's a, um, a book that <laughs> okay. I've spoken about many times, referenced many times on this podcast, that really, if we want to see peace on earth or the end of violence here it starts with us and what we're putting into our bodies and also into our minds. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, um, so you and I are actually coming together because I'm going to be on your podcast, which is yes, super cool. Yes, I know. I can't wait. And it's going to be a good one too. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Gonna, it's going to be really good. <laughs> it's going to be really good. No pressure to, for either of us. No, We'll probably no, put it all out there and then have a podcast hangover. Yeah, but it's good for us. It's good, it's good that we're on a panel together because you know we are um, of, of similar like mind. Yeah. And yeah. that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So the uh, Yoga Goes Vegan All Day Gathering and Retreat. And it is um, a co-production between Yoga is Vegan and our friend Victoria Moran, Main Street Vegan, and also the Integral Yoga Institute of New York City, which is, you know, one of the OG studios in the States. Like what an honor. I'm so blessed to be a part of this. And so what do you want to share with people about that? Or um, who, who is this for? Who is this think, retreat for? Well, I think anytime you do something that's a, it's, that's a, a vegan event, right? You're going to get both. You're going to get the yoga person who's just really thankful it exists because they're vegan. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, okay. You guys get it. Um, but I think it's a really big deal because the Integral Yoga Institute, like that's been, they've really had their roots in vegetarianism for a long time mm. as well. So to be able to then lift it up from, from a lineage, you know, that's, that's accepting it and saying, why don't we try it? Like it's, it's the same thing. We're not like, we're not gonna tell you you're bad if you don't, or you're wrong, or you're a bad yogi, or we're more, you know, spiritual or whatever. Um, but let's, let's look at the world that we live in today and let's, let's try to connect in the most yogic way possible. So for that to be coming from from that force, and of course Victoria Moran. I mean, gosh, she 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 does nothing but good all the time for so many. Um, is a beautiful event, and I think we're going to just see a lot of different um, meditation. Have moments to have like 
talks and and speak and connect with people and share and grow and you know if anything the, the yogic community has shifted and changed so much because yoga studios are not the same right now large ones are no longer even with us because of the pandemic so i think it's it's a beautiful day of opportunity to start to you know maybe shift shift your vibration whether it's it's learning and connecting with meditation or hearing someone who's an inspirational speaker or um you know just getting started and feeling like you have a community that is there and has your back if you want to try and shift towards a vegan lifestyle i love how you said that i just had a community that has your back i love that that's so inviting and we'll have uh, links to that, of course, in the show notes. Uh, but how do people follow you, get more of you and your message if they are aligning with, um, with your eloquent voice, with your transparency of sharing what your daughters actually think about <laughs> what that voice is on the podcast? Um, yeah, people that are just resonating with you. How do they get more of you, Holly? Um, well, I think... You know, go to yogaisvegan.com or follow. It's all under the same handle, Yoga is Vegan. And unless you're listening to the podcast, you're going to see me lifting other people up. It's not usually about myself there. And um, you can also find me under my name, uh, like on Instagram, which is at Holly Scotus. Uh, that's probably the best way, or on Facebook. But you can find me there. And also, if you're on Clubhouse, you can find, um, we are doing some Yoga is Vegan talks in there and it's under my name. So it's at Holly Scotus. Cool. We're going to check out this clubhouse thing. I like this. Yeah, uh, all right. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. It was lovely to finally have this, um, this time with you. You've been in my awareness for the last couple of years since you asked me to write an article for uh, the Yoga is Vegan blog, which, which I want to thank you personally. I don't know if I... If I included this in my email, and of course, I don't expect you to remember that when I sent you the article that this was like, it was a massive, it was a, it was a yes from the start. It was a no hesitant yes, but it was like this wonderful experience to like how, yes, I firmly believe that yoga is vegan. How do I write this article in a way that is inclusive, that is non-harming? and non-judgmental and true to me and inspires curiosity and inquiry. And it was, I just sat with it and for, I think it was like a while and I felt the pressure of like, you need to get her this article. And one day I just knew like, here it is. And I just wrote it. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it means it was important that you guys helped me out and did that too, because mm. without everyone else's stories, Yogi is Vegan would be nothing. So I, re I revisited it yesterday and the first lines talk about a, a tiny little spider that was walking across my laptop. And that was the day I sat down, I opened up the laptop, I took the breath and I noticed the spider and I was like, and I just gently kind of redirected him over into a succulent plant. And I realized like, 10 years ago, I would have, you know, flicked him off the screen or blew him off the screen and not really cared about where he went or how he landed. But now that I recognized that the spider is a sacred being and a soul, and I was like, yes, thank you, spider. Like, let's go. Here we go. Let's start writing. 
<laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. It's, it's really great. And um, thank you guys for having me on. Like, I feel honored to be on since I really can't run more than five miles. <laughs> and I'm really slow. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. had a great time. Yeah. Yes, we are, we are, if we are, you know, navigating life as human beings, we are all endurance athletes. And that was a belief that I had at the beginning when Yogi Triathlete was born. It's like, it wasn't me. It wasn't just triathletes. It's, it's everyone. It's everyone who's navigating this, this very rich, I think I said it in the intro, like very rich itinerary in life. Um, there's so much that we, uh, so much opportunity. And thank you for the opportunity that you gave everyone today to just be more curious about, you know, where they can expand nonviolence and non-harm in their intent and within their day. So we appreciate it. And I will see you, I don't know if it's next week or the week after. I for think it's next uh, week. I think it is next week. And then I'll see you again when we sit on that panel. So uh, yeah, have a wonderful rest of your fast today. And um, <laughs> I think we're all cacao. in. Are we all in? We're I think, yeah, I think we're, right, we're, gonna, we're, we're doing it. I don't think okay, we are. But I am it. having cacao today, so it's not going to be today. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. Thank you. You're welcome.